It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. Today, we're joined by Alan and Marie from MD Numbers, Inc. We're going to talk about their road to vertical integration. But first, we do have to get into a little bit of Cannabis Legalization News. Let's go to the news summary. Hey, Mickey and Tom, what's going on? Hey, Lord. Not too much is going on in the world of cannabis news. What about in the anarchist capital of Seattle? Oh, dude, it's fucking havoc over here. (laughs) Oh, havoc, is it? Was it as bad as the mental debate? It was just, so much mayhem. Hang on, let me keep interrupting on that. You know, just uh, let's no. It, that was just the the debate last night. I mean, it was uh, a dumpster fire and a shit show. But I think that was the first time that, uh, and I I'm not sure if Joe Biden's into weed, but he sure used the word man a lot. He was like, <laughs> "Shut up, man!" Or like, "Nice to see you, man." Grandpa's talking like he smokes, but then he doesn't. You know, it's weird. Uh, it's what's fucking shit, but yeah, it was sad, dude. Yeah, it was sad. You know what they didn't talk about in that debate? Legalization, period. Cannabis. They didn't talk about it at all. So yeah. it sucked. Which is kind of ironic, right? Like every time I'm always pounding the, the pavement when it comes to social justice equals uh, legalization. Um, but no yep. one talks about it. Why? Why? And then they didn't really talk about social justice that much. You know, they just kind of bickered and like one of them just kept interrupting him. Like, even. The President Trump is like the least presidential person that I've ever seen in a presidential debate. And I've been watching him all my life, you know, and so it, it was something else. But it's that's that issue isn't the only issue in the upcoming election. There's also these four states that are oh, voting to legalize. So we're talking about Mississippi's got medical. South Dakota's got both medical and also adult use. Arizona, Montana, and New Jersey all have adult use. Montana actually has a very vibrant uh, medical law that's out there, but meh, you know, uh, there's only like 500,000 people in Montana, and then there's about 800,000 in South Dakota. The Medical Mississippi Act, I wonder how uh, medical is, is different than adult use, but Prop 207, yeah. that's what they got in Arizona. And the poll says uh, Arizona voters indifferent on Prop 207 for, um, uh, you know, legalizing it, which is kind of annoying. I mean, like, you know, maybe maybe it's not going to win. Maybe it will win. Maybe it'll squeak by with this uh, 51-48 margin. Well, that's, that's what failed them last time, though. They just barely missed that last time. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, they'll be able to get Prop 207. So if you're watching this from Arizona, vote yes on Prop 207. Well, you know, I think, too, a lot of these medical states, you know, you would think the medical people will try to have more stake in the recreational game. Here in Washington, I, I noticed a lot of people not even trying to be involved in whatever regulation that needs to be. You know, not even trying to put an input. They're happy to be in their little space and just make their own money. That's right. That's what I was going to say. Like, why? I mean, why won't they be involved? I'm like, well, you see, once you got yours, yeah, you know, you you, you just things get better for you. It's like, oh, yeah, all this. What about the forty thousand people sitting behind bars for uh, for pot? Meh, you know, boat payments. Right. Yeah. No, I I'm not stirring the pot. I'm not getting. Uh, you know, they're not looking at me. Rather, or whatever. You're not standing right. out. Yeah, but you can still cut checks. You know, you could still make donations. But even overall, it's like I just don't get people like that, especially in cannabis. Uh, you know, you're 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 in a outlaw industry from the get, and you have people suffering worse than you as you're paying off your car payment. You know, mm-hmm. sending your kids to school or going on vacations. You know, there's more people need to step up. I think. Yeah. But anyways, 
<laughs> they do. They do. And like, that's one of the things because I was kind of poo-pooing the medical, like in Mississippi, when medical comes in, it's usually like the big mothership of the, it's not usually Oklahoma where it's everybody and, and their brother can get in. It's more along the lines of uh, a very few amount of licenses, just a handful. And then the biggest players come in. So they come out with a, a monopoly or an oligopoly basically from, from the get go with your medical. And so then you're like, wait a second, why are you going to upset this? You know, we have, we have a good thing going. Maybe if you open it up more, that's fine. But how do we maintain our share I mean, our domination? Like all businesses, they just love to grow. Yeah. You know, no, no, I get that. It's just, you know, it's so frustrating. Like, like in California where uh, it was medical and then uh, now you have this whatever, regional recreational right well it's it's legal in california but then it's also legal for the communities to say not in our backyard it's like the dry counties and so i don't think that you could ban being drunk right and so but you could ban like buying the alcohol or yeah. or having bars or selling the alcohol and then if you did that then magically nobody would drink you know it's that whole thing of zero tolerance, complete abstinence, where it's just a binary switch of morality. And, and yeah. just, just, it's a fantasy. I don't understand though, but uh, you know, a lot of people subscribe to that fantasy where it's just, we can't have it at all. But this is ridiculous at this point after prop 215, you know, as I like to call it the gateway uh, uh, proposition, you know, through recreational. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it is, right? I mean, we had medical, People realize that everybody didn't collapse in Cal California. Didn't collapse. Didn't fall off the map. Every People state that has legalized cannabis has not fallen off the map. Literally every state. Do you think Amsterdam is just falling into a, just a terrible depravity because you've been able to go to Amsterdam to legally buy weed and smoke it for decades? No, oh, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, every place. You know, again, we're legalizing morality. That, that's what you're talking about, right? All right. Right. You're legislating a morality. Uh, and that was that was an aspect uh, that I did not know about Ed Rosenthal. And if you're just joining us, don't forget to hit the likes and subscribes and then check out our show that we did last one uh, Sunday with Ed Rosenthal. And uh, he mentioned the last time he bought weed. That was an <laughs> interesting anecdote. The guy was full of all kinds of cool stories, though, man. Like, yeah. The the, the hippie thing, the, the culture, he, he was. Yeah, do he, he call it a hippie or do you call it a yuppie or. Yippie. Yippie. He was a yippie. Yeah, he and then the fact that he referenced terpenes and not like indica sativa that just goes to show you, he's yeah. A hit. Well, in the, the, the terpenes that he was okay, you know, uh, nerd alert when it comes to cannabis, because the terpenes he was referencing are the more stimulating of the terpenes, he was not referencing mercine or lianolol, uh, and that was the other thing that I mentioned. How do you pronounce all the terpenes anyway? Yeah, I, I just kind of mumble it and hope people uh, get it. <laughs> we, need to, we need to get somebody who's musically inclined to write us a jingle that they sing all the terpenes for us so that we understand how to pronounce them. I try so hard, dude, but you know, like the only ones I even remember are like limonol because it has like a lime or in the word. Or, yeah. And then the lavender one. Well, linenol. But I just, yeah. I just totally butchered that one. And then there was niradol or niradol. Oh, potential spams calling. And so I hung up on that one. But yeah, uh, niradol. See, these are just so much fun uh, to try to try. remember how to pronounce terpenes. Beta caryophylline. I think I got Ooh, that. Yeah. Nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. All right. So what other news was there? You share a story with the audience. Uh, well, you know, Jersey's going to try. I mean, Jersey's uh, sort of, trying. 
The governor is going to, whoops, go back. GOTV, get out the vote in Jersey. Yeah. So, you know, the go-to marijuana moment, uh, Tom Angel and his crew, uh, right. always on point. And, uh, yeah, Jersey. And then also uh, our friends in Pennsylvania are trying again still hard. Pennsylvania's got a ballot thing that they're going to have to do. And then they're going to have to vote legislators out at the ballot. Like they aren't able to do the easy one. Uh, I guess we can call it easy, like the actual ballot initiative, like Seattle. Uh, you guys were able to put it on the ballot and vote it out in Washington. Basically, the whole West Coast, Colorado, uh, Arizona. Where is it? It's on the ballot. And so uh, Jersey was on the ballot. Missouri was on the ballot. South Dakota's on the ballot. Legislative states like Pennsylvania, you can't do it. And so that's one of the reasons why they have to go to the ballot and they have to ask all their uh, candidates like, hey, do you support legalizing it, especially with SB 350? That was going to be a fairly open market. It would Dude. be the most open Midwest market outside of Michigan. I, well, it's just a great way to the whole black market or eliminate the traditional market everybody's afraid of. The, you know, you evolve the community. It's what you do. You have the micro grower license, you know, and then that helps put out the black market because then everybody can get in. And again, I don't like calling black markets. It's just citizens, right? It's just, yeah. well, just, you know, illicit, but I guess we should call it the illicit market or something, you know, the, because it is, it's criminalized and it's illegal, but I don't like the way that it's criminalized and punished. You know, I think it should be more like, uh, I wonder if our, uh, a grower, a grower guests have an opinion on that. I bet. I bet we have a wonderful guest that can talk about the entire supply chain and the cannabis industry, probably even in California, right? Vertical? Yeah, let's bring them on. Hey, Alan and Marie, what are y'all up to? How y'all feeling? Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Marie, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at MD Numbers, Inc.? Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having us on here. Extremely excited. So Alan and I own MD Numbers Inc., which is a family of vertically integrated brands, MD Farms, Marie's Deliverables, and Legacy Coterie. And we're vertically integrated throughout the California supply chain with a number of goods for customers. So in a, uh, vertical integrated means from the seed to the store, right? Yes, sir. Correct. Yep. Wow. Seed to shelf. How many licenses do you have to hold to do such a thing? We hold quite a few. So we have uh, six cultivation licenses. We hold uh, two distribution licenses and then a retail license. So about nothing was about eight total. Seven. Eight. Total. Eight total licenses. Okay, with your cultivation licenses, uh, how do they regulate that? Plant number or flowering canopy? Um, it varies from the county that we operate in versus the state. So the county operates in, they measure by square footage of a canopy. And then the state um, taxes are paid based on sales and then obviously <clears throat> uh, any movement of plants in the supply chain. So the county taxes us based on how much space we're actually operating in, not how much product we're actually producing. And the state taxes us based on how much product we're actually selling and moving. Fascinating. Look at that. Two levels of government compliance asking for two totally different things. And they most times do not communicate with one another. So a state inspection and a county inspection are going to be two different ballgames oh right God. there. And so like people go like, hey, can I get into this industry? I'm like, OK, yeah. But um, it depends where. And it also depends like you're going to have some headaches. And these these regulatory compliance issues, they're going to cost you some money. So you're going to need a lawyer and you're going to need an accountant because, dude, you just mentioned taxes at two different levels. So now you need to have that, like bake that into the cake. You don't want to get the tax bill at the day that it's due, you know? 
Exactly. Uh, so you need like that CFO type that's going to be there to, to help keep your books in order. And then you're talking about talking to two different layers of government that don't talk to one another. Uh, have they changed the rules on you lately? Uh, yes, the rules are constantly changing. Um, here in California, they definitely they had two different entities uh, managing their cannabis, the BCC, the Bureau of Cannabis Control, and the CDFA. Um, now those entities are combining into one. Um, so now everything's changing. Everything, you know, they, they're evolving sometimes for the better, sometimes not so much. But um, we have to stay on our toes for sure. Damn. Yeah, that is something else. When you guys started, was it a to the farm first, or was it like, hey, we're going to become vertically integrated? Let's get a investors type stuff. What was the uh, original? Originally, I kind of call it like a reverse engineer. We didn't have uh, the cultivation entity secured first. We had delivery, so we created selling a lot of other people's products to an end user and built out a delivery service based in the peninsula. And then we built out another delivery service in Los Angeles. And that's what led us to understanding the need for cultivation and controlling a piece of the supply chain. That's pretty awesome. So you reinvested in yourself pretty much. We're constantly reinvesting into ourselves. Yes, sir. So how did you guys monetize the delivery license? Because I we're, we're getting a similar type of license and I, and we have to be careful and, and distinguish the, the terms because delivery can actually mean a different type of license where you're Ubering it. So like you're taking it to the end user, but then transport is what we call it here in Illinois. And you said distribution over there. And that's where you are being more like the liquor distributor, taking somebody else's labels and moving them around. Uh, what business model did you use for your distribution when you started? Yeah, so in California, the distribution model is a little differently. Only distributors can actually package bulk product into individual products prepared for the end user. The wow. retailers themselves cannot actually package product themselves unless they have their separate distribution license. Um, so that's one leg of the supply chain that kind of keeps things separate from the producers and the cultivators and the manufacturers and then the end users um, themselves. Um, we have a delivery license in um, based in San Francisco. We started in the peninsula of Redwood City area in 2015. Um, and we had to do a strategic partnership with another group that had a license available because um, licenses are pretty much attached to real estate. So if you don't have the proper real estate in the right zone, you're not going to get a license. So we had to. Right zone, like, I mean, like the counties are, are, I mean, you guys have dead zones and not like for like cell reception, but like the industry can't be there. That's weird. Absolutely. Even the zoning maps, I mean, they will zone a freeway. They in, Inside of these zones, you have to be very particular with what's actually accessible for you to put in retail. I was actually dealing with an issue in the peninsula recently where Redwood City unknowingly a long time ago zoned 30,000 square feet parcels for retail. So yeah. right now they're having to go back in and try to chop these up to see if they can take what once was a Kmart and create cannabis retailing in that same zone. So it's very difficult. And then even so much time like emphasized with the taxes, going to a locality that has a friendlier tax will be far more profitable and maybe even the meaning between staying alive and having your business go belly up in the future. For that Kmart, would they put like nine different businesses in there? Or would it be like something like you guys where it's like, hey, we're one company, but we own eight different licenses. It would be all retail, so they wouldn't they wouldn't have distribution permits or any other like nursery or cultivation. So they don't even they don't know yet. 
Mm. They're trying to figure out if they have to give this entire space to one business or they would be able to chop it up into smaller, maybe you know, put parcel sizes. It just seems silly to put like eight stores that are the same thing do together. They, Marie, right. do they put like another layer of tax when you are a distributor? Absolutely. So you have your local tax, which is usually a gross percentage of your distribution. And then, of course, all the other sales and use taxes associated with that. And excise tax is paid at the distribution level only, which makes sense. California didn't want to have to chase down tons of different license types to collect that excise tax, which is right now at roughly 27 percent, extremely high. So they collect all of that from the distributor. And also the distributor collect the cultivation tax from the farmers. So the distributors, the middleman for the state, they're the only ones that are actually receiving taxes. So when we sell product from our farm, we the distributor collects the tax. So when the distributor sells product to the retail shops, the distributor collects the tax from them as well. Oh my God, you're cash? I'm sorry? Is this in cash? Um, Cash, check, um, whatever form of payment that entity God, is able to operate in. Check now. I mean, like that, that must have, I mean, but is, is it still, what's the mix of cash to check? Um, it varies on the entity level. So if you're in a retail location and you accept credit cards, um, which, you know, how they go about accepting their credit cards is very business to business. But um, Marie can probably speak more on that. On the cultivation side, it's, I mean, really about 80, 20 cash to uh, to check or wire transfer or something like that. But we're still predominantly cash business. Wow. Yeah. I imagine being vertically integrated, that whole process that you just explained, I mean, your book's got to be like, okay, uh, I'm the grower. I'm going to sell to myself. Uh, hey, I get a tax on myself and I got to tax you, um, which is myself again. And then uh, I'm going to go sell it to myself in the store who gets taxed again. What, like, how much do you have to meet for a gram just to be profitable? Like, you know, like what's the cost to grow a $2 gram? Is that what you're trying to meet? You know, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a deep question right there. Um, you know, I think we look at more in per price per pounds and how much we can produce a pound at to actually make it profitable, understanding it is going to go down the supply chain. It's going to go through distribution. It's going to go to our retail. Um, like I said, we are vertically integrated. So Marie and myself own all those facets in the supply chain. Um, but all the taxes are completely different across the board and they're different based on the cities and localities that we operate in. So having a full-time tax strategist and bookkeepers, definitely something we picked up this year that is far more beneficial than in years past because it is very complicated and very very convoluted. Um, but, you know, we have to find that right niche. Usually distributors make about 10 to 15% purchasing in bulk and then reselling it. So we're able to kind of keep that in-house by doing that ourselves, which obviously helps our margins as well. So um, it really kind of varies based on the business model. Um, we have been focused more on bulk sales with our cultivation just to be cash flow positive and not get too, um, not get too in the weeds with trying to build a brand before we really had enough funding to do it. So now that we able, we are cash flow positive, we are distributing to ourselves and selling to our retail location. We still have a lot of data to gain, but it's really that per pound price that we try to get, you know, to where we're making enough money to make sense. Oh yeah, fascinating. So what's the per pound price that's going for in California right now, or in your area where you're operating? 
Cool. So our cultivation facility is a 50,000 square foot facility right under an acre. Um, and we have 300 lights. So we're a mixed light facility. So we're not just growing greenhouse or light depth product. We do have lights in there. Right now, it varies anywhere between about 1400 to 1800, depending on quantity, quality, uh, THC percentage and in color. Color is a really big thing right now. So usually anywhere between 14 to $1,800 per pound. That's wow. it. Yeah. Did you hear I was going to ask him, did you guys hear about how Kool-Aid is the dye and Kool-Aid is tiny enough that it'll actually get into your cannabis and you could use it as a dye? We learned from Ed this weekend. Ed Rosenthal told us that, man, this weekend. Do you guys, um, being fairly integrated, you're you're, you're locking down your brand, you're controlling the quality and everything. Uh, Are you at the point now you can also... Because I've seen out here where you kind of like white label, take other groves and accept, you know, you're doing their quality check before you put your name on there. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you there yet? Uh, we're there at multiple levels. Marie can actually speak to that. Marie spends a lot of time working with social equity groups who are building out brands that actually don't kind of control their own cultivation. So they have no choice but to white label, but not being in the network and not having the, um, the, um, the relationships that we have, Marie really kind of helps with our distribution company kind of source products from different groups to white label for products ourselves. We don't actually white label other people's products for our brand. We use our own product in-house, but um, Marie definitely can speak to on helping other people source products for white labeling, which is big in California. Yeah. White labeling is huge in California. I mean, most uh, brands were created unknowingly without having uh, any sort of cultivation. So they were going to a distributor, buying in bulk. And then what we've done is tried to use our farm as a resource to equity brands that are not very close to the source. And of course, as we know, the middleman grows and grows as many times as that product gets moved throughout the supply chain. So they're paying exorbitant prices once cultivation taxes and lab tests get paid. So we try to allow our farm to be a resource for a lot of the connections that we have in the community to use what Alan and I have built as a resource for creating these brands and white labeling a lot of these products into equity retail stores as well as equity verified trade products. So right now, everything that we have essentially does get white labeled at some point, whether it's on the, the bulk side or whether it's on the distributor packaging side through our distribution or through another distributor. Uh, that's awesome. Marie, is that kind of like uh, how Amazon will sell their own brand through Amazon? I mean, they built the, the mainframe and the, the systems of the distribution from Amazon, and then suddenly they're selling their own batteries. I mean, they, in theory, could make any brand that they want. Like when you mentioned with white labeling, uh, was that something you were trying to achieve? My thought process is bringing together a true bulk um, production facility. So brands can come in, whether they want smalls, whether they want trim for creating concentrates, whether they want finished product and see a lot of different varietals, strains, price points, and be able to say, okay, I'm not going to have to spend a month trying to build relationships with cultivators or distributors. We know we can go to this one distributor in San Francisco that's going to have market rate or below market rate prices for us. And then they can basically have a springboard to create these brands. And one of the struggles that San Francisco's had is the visibility of equity brands, just not having enough product, not being able to get through the supply chain in any sort of efficient fashion. So it's 
it's similar to like being able to create and white label anything kind of like Amazon. Do you want edibles? Do you want chocolates? Do you want gummies? Do you want hard candy? Creating a manufacturer that can do all sorts of edible white labeling and then building out all sorts of product categories. If we make this split, then we can make topicals and tinctures and have those lines created a lot easier than if these equity manufacturers were gonna go secure all these different processes independently. So we just try to streamline everything. And I'd really try to make them understand where and how they're going to make money oh yeah huh. well i mean i had a couple of questions but then with the where and how are they going to make money that would be an interesting one to explain but first uh with the um uh, do you use licensing agreements so like a lot of the people that are watching the show in the illinois area are going to be kind of sour and sucking on lemons because they only were giving away 75 retail licenses and they had all these pie in the sky brand dream ideas and some real good social equity so they don't have a license but uh, like a cannabis retail license or cultivation license, but could you, as the person that has that license, enter into a licensing agreement for their brand to then start doing those types of white labeling and to lend a license to perhaps a team that didn't get one? Right. So California passed a lot of legislation to prevent third parties from creating brands without owning a piece of a permit in the supply chain somewhere. And it might not have to be a exactly like if you're manufacturing something you could own a distribution permit and that would suffice but yes they want you to have some sort of licensing agreement where you have to do some sort of they have to get equity in a viable permit yes fascinating i don't think illinois is that mature in its process because when you read the two laws comparing it to california you can just tell that california is like you know, they're in, in college and Illinois is like in first grade. And so like, it's just a very, well, we don't even have like what they call a processor's license. And so that's not even contemplated. So the growers are the processors as well. So the, mm -hmm. the competition for the grow license is fierce, yeah. but then there's a, a reference to a processor in, in, the, in the statute. And then it's supposed to come out in rules, which have yet to be written. So like, you know, you can just see like, it's going to evolve into types of things, but I just don't know if that's a, an option for the people that, that lost out uh, and they, they have no license, but they still have this brand concept and they might try to do that. But uh, okay. The next one would then be, well, how do you explain to them how they're going to make money? Long time. <laughs> over the course of a very long performer built out over years. I mean, it's really challenging, especially when we go back to that middleman. You know, if I'm an equity uh, operator and I want to create a brand, but I don't have any control of production and I'm paying higher the market rate because things are a little bit, uh, demand is much higher than supply right now in California. So Seriously? Prices high. Yeah, prices are very high right now. What's so, very high in California price for an eighth? Well, selling into the retailer, so what the storefront is paying about $25 an eighth, and then they want to turn that around and sell it to you at 25 plus 27% plus their profit. Dang. And so uh, people are probably paying 50, $60 an eighth uh, retail in, in LA. Well, in California, 70, 80, in some cases, 70 to $80 retail. Depending on oh, the brand. You yeah. still can't get rid of the black market. Cause how much can you go buy uh, regs for down the road? It's a good question. Yeah. But with the, uh, the fire that you guys have seen out there, so the wildfires, uh, mm -hmm. Alan, have you seen uh, a, an uptick or like a change in your business impact from the wildfires? 
hundred percent. A lot of our SOPs had to change for that. Um, we're in Monterey County. Our farm's based in Salinas. So um, there was a fire over in Monterey um, on the coast. It didn't get too close to our farm, but uh, the smog, the smoke, and the ash definitely like was um, almost detrimental but to a point. Um, we had to change up some things. We definitely kept the house buttoned up. We turned our exhaust fans off. We tried to not exhaust as much smoky air into the facility as possible, but having a greenhouse facility and growing plants on that um, the scale that we have, airflow is key. So we had to be very meticulous with how we were operating and when times of days that we were uh, able to open up our windows and kind of let our vents open. And then there was no sun. There was no sun for about three weeks. So literally, you know, a plant's life cycle, once it goes into flowers, usually about eight to 10 weeks. And three weeks out of that cycle, there's literally no sun. Now we have lights in our facility, so we were able to kind of supplement that some, but a lot of growers um, weren't able to do that. And a lot of growers up north got a lot of ash over their plants as well. So it's still kind of unknown how the lab testing will come out for that. So that will definitely affect the market too over the next four to six months, um, how much product actually is able to go into the market versus how much product is supposed to be destroyed because, you know, filed, filed lab, failed lab testing. Wow. So I guess that is one of those existential risks out there. And uh, there's no insurance because remember, this is all legal. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to We Discuss How to Commit Vast, <laughs> Vast, vast federal conspiracies, which of course should never have been such a thing, but we still have to make that disclaimer. Always comply with your laws if you can. Right. Um, well, yeah, man, that's that's really, really fascinating. So it looks like the, the entire country might have a dry supply going into the election season. You know, with the fire still burning right now up north in California, it is definitely not looking good. Um, and keep in mind, Northern California is one of the best climates in the entire world to grow cannabis. So, um, you know, not just California, unfortunately, a lot of places rely on that. So <clears throat> it is definitely going to cause an uptick in demand. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, it's kind of un, un, unspoken right now, but we'll see how it uh, all unfolds. Awesome. I don't know if Alan... I heard anyone said this. Someone mentioned to me from one of the larger distribution companies that they're expecting around a two-year drought based upon the fires from this year. Or wow. will this affect for the lack of supply? Uh, Marie, do you, does your company own any uh, outdoor cultivation licenses? Not yet. Not yet? But do they have them? They have them in California, right? Yep. How are those? Uh, are you guys familiar with how they work? Yeah, yeah, we're very familiar with how they work. Um, really, it's kind of based on the area that you're in. You know, um, a lot of outdoor grows, you get usually two terms per year. And the laws in California are really um, uh, strict on the type of cannabis. So if you're pulling tarps to blackout, you're not an outdoor grow. So therefore, your taxes are different, your licensing fees are different. You really have to be a true outdoor cultivation or light up, uh, mixed use, and then an indoor facility. But um, outdoor facilities, some of our partners and some of other distribution uh, people that we have partnered with in the past have huge outdoor grows up north um, on a massive scale. And, you know, they try to get those two good runs in a year. Um, a lot of manpower, a lot of resources. Um, it's not quite like us. We're operational full year. We're, we're, we're harvesting monthly yeah. every, um, you know, every that, month, but yeah. they definitely put on a lot of product to supplement the industry. That's amazing. So like uh, the outdoor farms in Cali are just two huge runs uh, per year. Just they, they have a crop and that's probably why they're because you see them. They're monsters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How much oh, is yeah. one of them plants? I've heard stories of people having, you know, 20 pound plants before. 20 pound plant. Gee, mm -hmm. many Christmas. 
Yeah, that is that's an art uh, in and of itself. And so uh, those poor ones. And then uh, Talking Hedge actually asked us, you know, anyone using? And then I can't I can't pronounce that hypochlorous acid to cleanse the plant from having a smoky flavor. Have you have you heard of anything about how to clean plants? I have not. I've seen a lot of people with blowers. I've seen a lot of people do a lot of things. You really don't want to spray water on them to try to get it off because that water will soak into the ash and it'll just soak into the plant or into the buds. And then, you know, your plants, your product is ruined at that point. Um, for me, the best thing that I've heard and seen is really just try to blow the plants off um, from ash and things like that as soon as it gets on there to try to keep that plant healthy. Because if it has a lot of extra things on it, the plant's not going to produce what it's supposed to produce. It's not going to function the way that it's naturally supposed to function. It's going to have something holding it down. Um, plants are very finicky. They're just like people. You know, you give them a good environment, a good climate, they're divas, they will produce for you like no other. But, you know, you'd have... Um, you have an environment that's not conducive to their life cycle, then, you know, it will reflect in the yield. Nice. All right, Marie, can you tell us a little bit about Marie's Deliverables? What is that? Yeah, absolutely. That's Alan and I's original company that we founded in 2015. So it's a delivery company where we go direct to the consumer. And we've had, oh man, we've built that company now for five years. It's very family oriented, very consulting oriented. We've wanted it to be more of like medically oriented where you could call in, you can find out about CBD, you can find out about those difficult to pronounce terpenes and the effects that they have on your body. But it's a delivery service based in the peninsula still, and uh, we operate it every single day. That's fantastic. And so that's how you got in. You got in with the, the deliverable license. And that's a was in 2015, was the, deliver, the deliverable the distribution license similar to how it is uh, to this day where you had to break up the product to the end user? Very different. Very different. We used to buy um, in bulk, of course, so we would get to go see all of our distributors and we would buy anything that we wanted and we would take that back to our office and package it for the end user. And it was always extremely fresh. We would package per order. So now everything comes in prepackaged eighths. It's crazy how much waste we have in comparison. Like that's just one small note, the amount of waste that we have for all the childproof packaging and these prepackaged eighths and quarters and ounces is is just extremely high. Um, but yeah. Our regulation though. I mean, like that's the, you, you make this regulation to please think of the children, protect the children, fuck the planet. You know, no, just all these little plastic things, you know? <laughs> Shit, mm -hmm. I don't want my kid getting something that won't kill them or addict them. Is the handle of vodka in the kitchen child? Oh, yeah. I'm like, no. Uh. And then you could go into the store and be like, hey, uh, where's the uh, them handles of vodka over there? You can just get a box of the handles of vodka and be like, and then you could tell the guy, I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works, you know. Like if you just have a handle of vodka party, that might be the end of you. And so, uh, but yet, what is the possession? Do you guys have possession limits in California? Yeah, there are possession limits. I think each individual person can uh, buy and possess up to an ounce of cannabis, and I think seven grams of concentrates. Yeah, recreationally. So if you're just an adult use user, um, that's what your limits are. But if you have a medical uh, authorization card still, then you can buy up to eight ounces a day. So you can get a half pound a day if you're medical. Yeah, that's some serious medical capacity right there. I mean, right. I don't know anybody that can put it. it you said a ha eight ounces? No, and especially not medical grade. You know, somebody who knows what they're doing when they were growing that. I'm not going to dent 
one of those ounces, let alone eight. Uh, and that's some serious bud. But then it's still like, you know, it's the it's this double standard. There's this more lethal, socially acceptable substance that's way less regulated. And you don't have to jump through all these hoops. Oh, man. Um well, I guess one of the things that I would want to know is what percentage of your dollar do you think is uh, like the dollar of your product? So when you charge uh, to uh, the retailers, how much of that is tax, do you think? For the end user? Sure. You know, that's one of the things, you know, I always like to look at the, the price of the product that you buy and then say like, you know, because there's the input costs, you know, there's the cost for the lights and then all that other stuff. Uh, and then there's the price of like, you know, just the taxes. And so like, you know, if you do buy like cigarettes or beer or other sins, very often the most expensive ingredient is the taxes. We're about 37 percent. We're really like 36 percent. If you put the 15% excise tax and mark it up at an 80% rate, which is what they believe that we mark product up to. Um, and then you add your local sales tax on there, you're going to be at about 36% taxes. And also keep in mind that tax is going to vary from city to city based on what their local taxes are. So it could be a 5% gross tax or 5% tax. It could be a 10% tax. So it's definitely going to vary as well. And that's another function for our delivery service where we deliver in different cities and different municipalities. So we have to track the tax rate for those different areas. Uh, and think about that. How difficult is it to scale a business where whenever you operate in a new zip code or location. It comes with brand new regulations and all sorts of different political connections that you may not have had before you were there the day before. Um, have you guys noticed any issues when you are growing? I mean, like is regulatory compliance an impediment? A hundred percent. Yeah, that was one of the biggest hindrances for us when we started uh, legalization, recre uh, recreational use. Um, we operated in Redwood Cities where we founded our company, but Redwood City didn't give out any local license. Um, so we were forced to move to an area that we could obtain a license, which was San Francisco through a strategic partnership with a group there. And we were able to continue operating our business. Um, but there's certain cities and municipalities that you know, they said they were banning delivery. So we couldn't even deliver into those areas if we wanted to. But then the state said that we could. So then there's that whole back and forth between the state and then the local municipalities on who actually is the final ruling on who can deliver here, who can't deliver there. Um, so that's a, that was a big hindrance, hindrance on us trying to get um, get our ducks in a row so we can stay compliant and can keep, op keep operating. Yeah. That's something else. All right. Uh, Marie, what do you think are some of the most uh, pressing challenges that you face when running uh, MD numbers? Uh, I would say a lot of things that we've talked about. Uh, tax strategy, especially once we've started vertically integrating and incorporating a lot of different businesses underneath uh, our umbrella company. Um, taxes are crazy and you really have to understand them now because Alan and I are firm believers that going forward into legalization federally that we will want to make sure that we've paid everything that we owe and more according to 280E, which is 30% of uh, everything that's not cost of goods. So it's extremely high dealing with the taxes. And Oaksterdam University, when I went there, they said, if you have a retailer and you buy at 50% margins, like most, at the end of the day, you're going to make 1%. So, I mean, one of the largest challenges for us, of course, is making sure that we're profitable in everything that we do. We don't have, you know, some large conglomerate by 
behind Alan and I that has a blank check for us at all times. So, you know, if anything that we have is not going well or not profitable, we have to make sure that we can resync everything and pivot really easy. And the taxes even right now, I mean, we're at 37% and the federal government's not getting a piece yet. A lot of localities are still not at the maximum tax rates that they plan to go to. So going forward in the future, we just want to make sure that we're planning our tax strategy now for success going 10 years, 20 years from now, making sure that we're one of the lucky federally legal operators when there are. Thanks. Welcome back, Miggy. Yeah. Hey, welcome hey. back. When I, when, I, when I left, we were talking about white leaving. I had a question. I was thinking, like, because you guys are in the Bay Area, have you guys, because, you know, Wiz Khalifa doesn't grow his weed. It's just throwing the branding nope. out there. So uh, E40, man, you guys uh, hook up any good brands out there that you've uh, white labeled with? Oh, man, Marie can speak on that. She is definitely an individual that's in touch and in tune with uh, the Bay Area and social equity groups and individuals like E40 and uh, other individuals that are come from maybe um, a hip-hop background that's kind of getting to the cannabis. But um, yeah, I can let her speak on some of the partnerships and individuals that she works with. Yeah, I uh, just had a brand release this week that we did at the cookie store, Burners on Hate. Nice. So, I mean, a lot of everyone knows Burners. Yeah. And yeah. he used this store as an amazing, um, literally like a live equity showcase. So equity brands that I'm involved with, that I support, that I donate to, I just had a brand release for one What's probably one of the coolest ones to me because it's a, a community organization first that gives back to the community and they're actually using all of the proceeds from this brand to give back to the community and it's called Higher Purpose. And nice. is a mentor for the community. He keeps youth out of jail. He does all sorts of different, uh, he feeds the homeless, he feeds the elderly. It's just like amazing to see his evolution and him be able to showcase what he's doing as well as putting out some really good weed and hopefully we're going to make him some money so he can reinvested into the community. But Sean uh, is the owner of that store and he's an equity uh, applicant and successful um, entrepreneur. And he comes from uh, keeping youth, keeping guns out of youth. So they, a lot of these things all are really full circle just for social justice and the movement yeah. that, you know, we're all interested in, especially with the war on drugs. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of really, really cool brands that we've been, been involved with that are doing a lot of really good releases. And, and to add to that, too, a lot of these brands, you mentioned a couple of people like Wiz Khalifa and E-40. So we may not have personal relationships with some of those individuals, but the, this California industry is very small. So Wiz Khalifa is not growing his own weed, neither is E-40. There's somebody who's growing that weed. There's somebody that's packaging that product, and there's somebody that's distributing that product. Um, in our network, we probably know all of those individuals from the distributors to the packagers to the farmers that have those strategic partnerships with those groups. Um, we've also been offered strategic partnerships from other individuals to try to, you know, grow products for them or do different things. Um, so, you know, in a roundabout way, we are touching shoulders with a lot of those people, maybe not face to face, but we're dealing with individuals that are actually responsible for growing their product and putting their product in, on shelf space. Oh, for real. I think you guys totally are the legwork for the in-between the providing that, uh, you know, the networking is hard. The yeah, going to it. stores. Yeah. <laughs> all those connections and all those little nodes that are out there, that has, that's like a whole nother job, you know, to try to figure out all that networking stuff. And that's before you have to start going like through all these hoops 
for the taxes. And then like, oh, no, over there, the rules are totally different. What? You know, and it's it's such a, a fascinating thing. But everybody, for some reason, wants to get in the industry. I'm like, really? This industry? <laughs> a lot. It's a lot of work that goes behind it. Yeah. Well, Marie and Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where can we go to find and follow what you guys got going on at MD Numbers, Inc.? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having us today. This was really a pleasure. Our Instagram, you can follow us at md.farms.ca. And our website is mdnumbersinc.com. Check it out. Sweet. We'll throw those links in the description. Thanks again for coming on and thanks for tuning in. Everyone, make sure you like, subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news and tune in for this Sunday's episode. We're going to have Steve D'Angelo on. So that's going to be a fun conversation. Those are our neighbors. Um, Thanks, guys. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.